0: Lord, we are so grateful that you transform lives. Yes. And Dr. Qureshi, myself, and many of us in this room are here because of your grace, because of your love, and because of people that loved you enough to tell us about you. I pray that our hearts would be open to what you have to say this morning, and I ask that you would speak mightily through Dr. Qureshi, that the words that come out of his mouth would be your words, and that they would be ordained for t- uh, such a time as this. Lord, may we not go out of here the same way we came in, in Your holy name. I pray, Amen. Thanks, brother. Good morning. Good morning. Well, I had a sermon to share, but it was essentially the same sermon that she gave to the children. So uh, I'm not sure I have anything left to share. Uh, let's go ahead and pray one more time before we start. Heavenly Father. You are so good to meet us where we are. God, that all of us in this room have at one time or another walked away from you, used our hands to work sin against you, and yet you still love us. There's no explanation for how good you are, God. Thank you so much for everything you've done, everything you continue to do. And Lord, we ask you here to be present, God, to open up our hearts, to speak to us directly. Lord, I pray that we would leave our baggage at the door. I pray that we would leave our concerns and that we would just come with our hearts, present them before you, and let you work in our lives. God, without you, we're not going to accomplish anything amazing, but with you, all things are possible. And so, Lord, please be here today and lead us and shape us and guide us. And tell us about yourself in ways that we would never comprehend otherwise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The pastor said uh, before I started, I was like, oh, there's not that many people here today. I wonder if everyone's okay. He's like, oh, they come late. It's okay. (laughs) It's like, wow, everyone's here. Praise the Lord. We're glad to see you all. Um, He's right. I was uh, in medical school when I uh, met the Lord Jesus. Now, In order to explain to you kind of the track my life was going, I'll have to tell you this. I am the eldest son. I'm the only son in my family. My mother and father are from Pakistan, and uh, we have a culture that's very tight-knit. Mothers and sons are very, very close in our culture. Um, And uh, I was very, very tight with my family. And part of what my parents wanted for me growing up and what I wanted for myself was to be very successful... I wanted to become a doctor. I wanted to honor my parents with that. In our culture, that's a very honorable thing. One of the most honorable things you can become is a physician. And so I wanted to do that both for the sake of, you know, being able to help people a little bit. You're a doctor. You get to help people. But also because it's a lot of honor and there's lots of financial success involved. In fact, my uncle, who was a neurologist from Pakistan as well... He had come to the States first. He came during the, uh, the 70s for the Vietnam War. Um, and he had become a, a physician in Pakistan and then in the U.S. Army and, and military was asking for doctors. And so he was able to come to the United States. And ultimately, my uncle sponsored all of my father's family and we all moved to the United States. I wasn't born yet, but that's how everyone moved to the United States. Anyway, by the time I was in medical school, my uncle was looking for somebody to pass his business on to. And he had developed a new technique, actually, in, um, in pain management. He had developed a technique where you could inject directly into the site of pain um, an analgesic, which would release the nerves. And it, it actually was a very, very risky maneuver, but he had learned it and perfected it. And he was very, very wealthy because of it. He was, waking, he was making well over a million dollars a year in his clinical practice. And he was saying to me, Nabil, that's a million U.S., by the way. It's a little bit more than clarifying and so he said "Nabil, i want you to become a doctor because there's nobody in the family who's going to take this business over from me and i want to give it to you so that was the trajectory i had lots of honor in the family lots of joy as a tight-knit family financial success coming my way i was really really set for life until i found jesus Because you see, for me, in order to accept Jesus, I had to give up everything I had. My family was Muslim. And part of what our society meant was, as as a good Muslim, I was one who was not just praying the, the prayers five times a day. How many of you know Muslims in this room? This is a Hong Kong, very international place for Muslims everywhere. And they pray five times a day, regularly. They read the Quran regularly. They memorize it. I was doing all those things the sabbath day for muslim was on fridays and i would regularly lead the friday prayers because my father was in the navy he was gone quite a bit he he wasn't always around So what they do when the imam isn't in town is they say, who is the next person who knows the Quran the best? Who is the next person who knows Islam the best? And often that was me, and I was the one who would lead the Sabbath prayers, and a group of Muslims would pray behind me. That was the kind of position I had. And if I was going to leave Islam to accept Jesus, I was going to have to give up everything that was about to come. I was going to have to give up, of course, my uncle's business. He wouldn't then pass things on to me anymore. He would feel betrayed by what I did. It would be dishonorable for him at that point to to hand over his business to me. But let alone the business, let alone the financial success, I would have to be able to tell my mother that even though you loved me your whole life, even though you gave everything for me sacrificially, even though you and I have the closest relationship out of everyone in our lives, I have to follow Jesus. And that was going to mean bringing her not only dishonor, but making her feel like she had lost her son, her only son. So, the question for me when I was coming to this point is how sure am I that Jesus is really God? Because I have to give up a lot in order to accept him. And if he is really God, is it worth it for me to give up everything in order for me to follow him? Is he worth that? And what does it mean to follow Jesus? Can't I do something in the middle? And so for me it was a matter of searching. I needed clarity. I needed certainty that this was worth it. And so I started investigating. Now keep in mind, as a very, very devout Muslim, I had lots and lots of reasons to believe in Islam. My parents had taught me that Islam was the truth, and I loved Islam. I practiced it every single day. I used to challenge Christians. I used to challenge them and say, how can you believe in Christianity? The Bible has been changed, I would say. I would say, Jesus never claimed to be God. I would say, the Trinity doesn't make any sense. I would say, what does it mean for Jesus to have died on the cross for your sins? How is it possible that someone can pay for your sins? What justice is there in God killing this man, Jesus, for your sins? Does that make any sense? And so I used to challenge people regularly. And every time I challenged a Christian to explain their faith, they were unable to do so. I would say, why do you believe Jesus is God? And let me just ask us here, how many of us believe Jesus is God this morning? Now you guys are like, I'm not so sure anymore. <laughs> I, would say, I would say, why do you believe Jesus is God when Jesus says in the Bible that the Father is greater than he is? This is in the book of John, chapter 10. Jesus says, "...the Father is greater than I." You explain to me how is Jesus God. I would say look at Mark chapter 13, when Jesus is talking about the end times, and Jesus says, "...I don't know when the end of times is." Have you read this verse? Yeah, you're obligated to say yes. (laughs) "...I don't know when the end of times is. Nobody knows, not the angels, nor the Son, but only the Father." And I would say, how can you say Jesus is God? He's saying He doesn't know when the end of times is only if the Father knows. And I would challenge Christians with these verses as a Muslim. And Christians never gave me an answer. Oh, and it got really bad when I asked about the Trinity. Say, what's the Trinity? And they would say, well, it's a mystery. I said, no, the only mystery here is how you can believe this stuff. And so... This is the way I saw Christianity at first. Now then, what happened, what changed everything was that I met a friend. And I met a friend who was able to start defending all these points. You see, he knew his faith and he knew why he believed what he believed. And he also had good reasons for other people to believe the same thing. Now that's exactly what the Bible tells us to do, by the way. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, Always have a reason to share with those who ask you for the hope that is in your heart. Always have a reason to share with people. That's, that means be able to defend why you believe what you believe. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says that we need to take every argument and make it obedient before Christ. In other words, all these arguments that come up against Christianity, the Bible teaches us to be ready with the response and to yield them to Christ, to make them obedient to Christ. And so the average Christian I spoke to just believe that they were supposed to believe without having any reasons. But that's unbiblical. The Bible says you're supposed to have reasons to be able to share. Now, my friend that I ran into at the university level, he and I started talking first about the Bible. And I said, you can't trust the Bible. There's so many different versions. There's the ESV, the NIV, the NRSV, the NSV, the KJV, the NKJV, the who knows what V. You have so many versions of the Bible, you don't really know which one's the Word of God. And he said... To me, Nabil, let me explain to you how this works. He said, we have all these different versions of the Bible because there are different translations of the Greek. He says, we still have in our possession today over 5,500 Greek New Testament manuscripts. And it's just a different translation of of the reconstruction of the Greek. That's why there are so many versions. But you can read the Greek if you want. If you want to see what the Greek actually is, you can read the manuscripts for yourself. He said, we have whole Bibles from about 300 to 350 A.D. You can just read it. And I looked at him and I said, you're making this up. (laughs) I said, I've talked to so many Christians, not a single one has shared this with me before. He said, if you really think that I'm making this up, how about we study this together? And I said, okay, fine, let's do it. And so even though we were arguing with each other all the time, we were best friends. Because we both were seeking after the truth together. And he was my university classmate. I was doing pre-med. He was studying biology and philosophy. And so we had a lot of the same classes we could study for together. And so we signed up for classes together. Some of them we signed up for just so we could argue with each other. We'd sit in the back and argue the whole time. <laughs> and after years of looking into this stuff, after years of looking into the Bible, I realized that the Bible is actually trustworthy. Trustworthy. As a Muslim, that was a whole shift of mentality. But you look at the manuscripts of the New Testament and there's no way Christians could have introduced any corruption into the New Testament that's beyond detection. Anytime we see something that was added later on into the Bible, there were so many earlier manuscripts that we were able to say, look, this was added. This is a bad manuscript. Let's use the rest. And so we have so much early evidence of the Bible. We can be confident in what it originally said. So I said, okay, fine. Fine. The Bible's trustworthy. But where does Jesus say He's God? How about this verse that says the Father is greater than I? How about this? And so we started looking into this question about does Jesus claim to be God or not? Now this took a long time because understand the Quran, the Quran in Islam teaches that Jesus is a prophet. In Islam, Muslims believe Jesus is a miracle working man. He can, he can cure people. He can heal the blind and raise the dead and cleanse the leprous. The Quran teaches people that. And the Quran teaches that Jesus is going to come back at the end of times. But the Quran says Jesus is definitely not God. And that Jesus never claimed to be God. And so when the Bible, when a Muslim sees the Bible, he says there's no way the Bible could be accurate. But we had just talked about that. So I said, okay, fine, maybe the Bible's accurate. But that means that there's no way Jesus claimed to be God in the Bible. And so we started looking through these verses and what i realized i had done was i had confused the idea of the father versus the son the father and the son have different roles in the trinity but jesus certainly claims to be god he receives worship we see that in john chapter 21 he tells people in john chapter 5 to worship him or to respect him as they respect the father who can say that about themselves respect me as you respect god And of course, John chapter 1 says, Jesus is the one through whom the universe was created. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Jesus himself is with God, and he is God. And I'm reading this in the book of John, and I realize, well, Jesus is clearly claiming to be God in the gospel of John. So then I started arguing against the Gospel of John. I said, no, this is just one of the four Gospels. I want to see Jesus say it in all the Gospels. And so I started looking in the other Gospels and I realized every single Gospel, Jesus' whole entire point is that He claims to be God. I could explain that to you, but we apparently have a question and answer time. So if you want questions on this, we can talk about it then. And So then I realized that not only is the Bible trustworthy, But Jesus claims to be God in it. Now this is challenging everything I ever knew about Islam. And so I said, okay, now I have to determine, is this Christian message true? Is it true? Because people believe all kinds of things. People believe in all kinds of messages and philosophies. And for example, if you're in India, there's tons of Hindus there. You know, if you're in this area, there's all kinds of people who who live here. There's Christians, there's There's people who follow Confucianism, there's Taoists. there's, of course, there's Muslims here as well, there's everyone here. And everyone has a set of beliefs they generally like. You know, people were raised believing a certain thing, they were taught certain things by their parents, it's comfortable for them to be in the same kind of religion that they've always been in. But the question is, is there a truth about the world? Did somebody actually make this world and who is he? Or do all these beliefs not really matter what you actually believe? They're ultimately the same thing. I know there are very separate differences between each of these religions. And for example, just a brief one between Islam and Christianity, the ones I know best. In Islam, God doesn't love you unconditionally. You have to do certain things in order for God to love you. And if you do other things, God will not love you. That's what the Quran says. But in Christianity, God loves you unconditionally. He loves you no matter what you do because he's your father. And just like a good father might reprimand his child when his child does something wrong, God is willing to punish you, but he loves you all the same. That's what the Christian God is like. And so there's a big difference here. Now, another worldview that's very popular now is atheism or materialism and agnosticism. And basically people are striving for success. They're striving for financial success. And that's all they see this world to be about is making more and more money so that they can be more and more successful. Now where does the mindset ultimately come from? Ultimately that mindset is that the only thing that matters is that which we see, that which we touch, that which is real to us. We have to advance in this world because once we die it's over. That's basically what the atheist agnostic worldview amounts to. Once we die, everything is over. And so we have to do as as much success as we can in this life. By the way, that's what they essentially teach us in American medical schools and in American universities. The basic operating principle in these American systems, education systems, is that the supernatural doesn't exist. The only thing that exists is this world. That's what we're essentially taught and what that means then ultimately is just become as successful as you can. Now ultimately what does that translate to? What that translates to is that people believe when they're thinking in terms of just success, when they're thinking in those terms, what that amounts to is that some people don't really know that they're created for a purpose. They don't know that they're here for a reason. They don't know that God who created this universe, the same God who placed the stars in the sky, the same God who created this world just by thinking it into existence, that powerful God created you exactly the way He wanted to. And He loves you. Even though you sin, even though you might walk away from Him, God loves you. There's a big, big difference in those worldviews. In one of those worldviews, You can commit suicide, and it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter because you're here on accident. There was no God who placed you here, so you're kind of here on accident, and if it's over, it's over. Who cares? In the other worldview, God loves you so much, and he cares for you so much. Of course he doesn't want you to kill yourself. In fact, he's willing to die for you. Huge difference. So which one is true? Is there one that's true or are they all just beliefs that we hold in our head? Now the amazing thing about Christianity, the thing that struck me, it was true about Islam too, but only these two religions did I notice it was true about, is that they both say that you can investigate whether or not this religion is true. In Hinduism, you kind of have to live it for 20, 30 years before you figure it out. That's what the Hindu gurus will often say. In other types of worldviews, again, you just kind of have to live it. It's a philosophy you have to believe. There's no way to prove it. But Christianity, different. According to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ is not risen, what does he say? If Christ is not risen, our faith is in vain. If Christ is not risen, our faith is in vain, and we are most of all to be pitied. In other words, Paul is saying... Jesus' resurrection from the dead is proof that Christianity is true. Now, Paul, where did Paul get that from? Did he make that up? No. When people were asking Jesus for a sign, Matthew chapter 12, people are asking Jesus for a sign. They say, show us why we should believe you. He says, I will give you one sign. I will give you the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. In other words, Jesus says, everyone expected Jonah to be dead, but he came out of the whale alive. I will be in the heart of the earth. I will be in the tomb for three days and three nights, and then I will rise from the dead. That's the proof I'm going to give to this generation, the resurrection. Now you tell me, if a man walks into a room... Let's say a man walked in here and said, I claim to be God. How would we react? We would come up to him, we'd probably hug him, and then we'd call the hospital. <laughs> and we'd take him there and make sure he was okay. You know, that's what we would think. Now, if that same person said, no, wait and watch. People are going to kill me. Three days after they kill me, I'm going to rise from the dead. That's going to be my proof that I am God. Now, if they said something like that, and they actually were killed, and then did rise from the dead, that would change everything. Because honestly, if there's somebody I'm going to listen to about the afterlife, it's the person who's been there and come back. And that's what Jesus is. If the resurrection happened. If the resurrection happened. So what I realized was that there were three things that needed to be true in order for Christianity to be true. Jesus needed to die on the cross... For our sins, he needed to have claimed to be God because only God can pay for our sins. And he needed to have risen from the dead to prove his claim. And incidentally, that's exactly what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10 verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Three things. Believe in your heart Jesus is Lord, that He claimed to be God, and that God raised Him, resurrection, from the dead, death on the cross, from our sins, you will be saved. So the three things that need to have happened in order to confirm that Christianity is true are the three things you need to believe in order to be saved. And guess what? All three of those things would have happened in history. Think about it. Jesus would have claimed to have been God in history. That man would have at some point in history said, I am God. God. He would have at some point in history died. And he would have at some point in history have risen from the dead. These are things that are historical matters, which means you can investigate the history to see if it's true. And so even though I was studying medicine, I said, Okay, I need to know if this religion is true or not, so I'm going to start learning history. And that's what I did. I studied the historical method to determine whether or not these events were true. Now, as a Muslim, remember, I don't want these things to be true. Far from it. I want it to be false so I can go on living my life. But when I started studying and investigating these matters, I realized that historically speaking, it's incontrovertible that Jesus died on the cross. Incontrovertible. If you, if you can't believe Jesus died on the cross, you have to throw out all of history. That's how strong it is. But the Quran said Jesus did not die on the cross. So already I had a problem. Then I moved on. Did Jesus claim to be God? yes. The evidence is really strong. Jesus claimed to be God. It's found in the earliest layer of New Testament history in multiple ways. If you try to take that out, you have to take out everything from the Gospels. He claimed to be God. And when you look at the final question, did Jesus rise from the dead or not? You know, the resurrection is by far the best explanation of what happened to Jesus. There are scholars who don't believe in the resurrection, non-Christian scholars who study the life of Jesus. And you point out the evidence to them and you say, what do you think about this? What do you think about the evidence for Jesus' resurrection? You know what they have to say? They have to throw up their hands and say, we don't know what happened. Something extraordinary happened. We can't say what. And we can tell them why. The reason why you're saying that is because the only explanation here is that Jesus rose from the dead. And some of them would argue, yeah, you're right. But in order for me to say that, I would have to say God exists, and I'm not willing to say that. So even the skeptical agnostic scholars, by their hesitance to give any conclusion as to what happened, are confirming the fact that the evidence is really strong. Jesus rose from the dead. Now, I was a Muslim, so I believed in God. And when I looked at what happened in Jesus' life, I said, man, it's almost unavoidable. If I'm going to say anything about Jesus' life, it's that... He died on the cross and rose from the dead and claimed to be God. So that left me with the problem. What do I do with my life? What do I do? The evidence is extremely strong. And in our culture, in Muslim cultures, we often ask for dreams and visions. Um, My family had regularly asked God to give them dreams and visions for guidance. It's It's a normal thing amongst Muslims. They actually have a very specific prayer called Salat Istikhara. Designed to ask God to give you a dream. So I had asked God for dreams and visions, and God gave me a vision and three dreams which showed me Christianity was true. So now not only did I have all this evidence, this historical evidence that Christianity was true, now I had spiritual guidance from God that Christianity was true. But understand, once again, it came right back to that first point. In order for me to accept this, I have to give up everything. And really it doesn't matter how compelling an intellectual case is. And it doesn't really matter how spiritually led you feel. If you refuse to move because you have something you're holding on to more tightly than God. Then nothing can release you of that. Except maybe God himself. If you put something above God. Then you're basically saying to God. Let my will be done let my will be done. And I knew that as I was faced with the fact that I'd have to give up everything I had ever known, all my friends, I'd have to give up all my family. I had to juxtapose that with the idea of God himself. (laughs) Who is God? Is it worth giving up All of this to follow God in truth. Now, it's really hard to explain the depth and power of giving God his proper place in your life. But let me put it this way if we have been created by God, then we've been created for a purpose. Much like a machine has different parts. Each of those parts has a purpose. And if we take out one of those parts. And use it for some other purpose. The whole machine is going to fall apart. It might take a while. Depending on just how, how far and how, how off this one part is. It might take a while. Or it might happen instantly. But if we don't use each part as it's intended to be created. It will fall apart. Now if you take... The fact that God created you, and He created you for a purpose, and you live your life according to some other purpose, whether it be to seek fame, to seek fortune, to seek even financial success, like I was trying to become this doctor who would make lots of money in this clinical practice. Even if you try to put that in its improper place, and you put your purpose in its improper place, then you will fall apart. Because there's no such thing as enough success. Person after person after person has reached that pinnacle, that peak of excellence in their field. And they get to the top and they realize there's nothing here. I tried my whole life to get here and there's nothing here. Person after person after person has looked at their body and said, I need to look more beautiful. And they start going to the gym and they start starving themselves or whatever it is. And when they get to that point, they realize there's nothing here. Or I thought I'd be happy now, but I'm not. I need to lose more weight. Or I need to look even better. There's a cycle that continues because guess what? You haven't put that part in its proper place. You will continue seeking, you will continue finding, you'll continue struggling, and you'll continue to feel empty unless you put that part where it belongs. And what is that part? That part is having God at the front of your life. He's the only place where you'll find success. He's the only place where you'll find joy and peace and contentment. That's how we were created. And by the way, there was a study done in 2005 at Yale and Harvard University, two of the premier institutions in the United States. They did a joint study, and they determined that hardwired in each human being, hardwired in each human being is the need to worship God. This is a study done at Yale and Harvard University. You'd expect that they'd say something else. Said, so no, we have to put God in his place first. It's inside us. We don't know why is what they said, but it's there. Now, I I regularly talk to high school students in the United States. And one of the videos I show them is of a football player who's a legend. He's still alive today. He's still playing today. American football. Um, His name is Tom Brady. And he has won many of the Super Bowls. These are the grand championships. He's won many of them. He has one of the highest paying salaries in the entire football league. He's married to... ...the woman who is called the Victoria's Secret Supermodel of the Year. So he's got all the accolade, he's got all the money, he's got the woman... ...and then the magazine named him the best or the most eligible man in the the world. People magazine did. And then they did an interview with him, 2020. And they asked him, they said, how do you feel? You've accomplished everything, how do you feel? And I can tell you, uh, you can look at this on YouTube if you want. He just had this look in his eyes... That was completely hollow. And he said, I know I've reached my dreams. I've reached everything I wanted to get. But there's got to be more than this. That's what he said. And the interviewer said, what do you mean? You have everything. What are you missing? And he said, I wish I knew. I wish someone would tell me. Now, I'll tell you this. Very few of us in this room will make that kind of money in our lives. Very few of us will ever be that athletic. I doubt any of us are going to marry a Victoria's Secret supermodel. (laughs) But even if we did, that is not where our joy lies. It's not how we were created to live. We were created to put God first. And the amazing thing is, if you don't have any money, if you don't have any of these accolades or any clothes, guess what Jesus says? Jesus says, God has given the birds of the air their food. He's given the lilies of the field their clothes. He takes care of those things. How much more will he take care of you? His image is on you. You are his child. He loves you as his father. Don't you think he will take care of you? The sermon ends. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you. Here's the point. When you put that peace in its proper place. Everything else follows suit follow God first and foremost, if that means you have to give up your family, if it means you have to give up your friends, if it means you have to give up your future, it's worth it. And I can tell you that because, as you have probably figured out by now, I did exactly that. And for the first time in my life, I made my mother cry first time in my life I made my father cry. My dad had never cried. I would never even seen him cry before. And ultimately I realized that medicine was an honorable profession, but the Lord was calling me out of it into something that was dishonorable. At least in the sight of all my friends and family, the Lord was calling me into ministry. And so I had to take this pinnacle of where I was and say, I'm leaving that and following God. But I'll tell you this because of that, I know, I know not only that I'm going to be in bliss for eternity with God, but also that my life has meaning now. My life has meaning now. I can go and talk to people and share with them the joy that comes from knowing Christ. I can go and tell people what it means to have no shame. That's what the gospel says. There is now no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ. All of us carry shame. I don't care who you are or how high up you might seem to other people who don't know you. But all of us have points of shame in our lives. And yet Jesus tells us there is now no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ. Even that which is shameful in our lives. God is able to redeem that and to use that for His glory. I can share that good news with people. I can share the good news with people who are caught in their addictions, be it alcohol addiction, pornography addiction, sexual addiction, gambling, whatever it is. People who are caught in their addictions and they've been trying to get out. And I can tell them, our God is here and He has provided a path to rescue you and even you, yes, you will be redeemed. You know, everything that is in this world will burn away and will be destroyed when this world comes to an end. And it will come to an end. We all know this. Be it because the sun bursts into a supernova. Be it because we kill ourselves. Be it because that nuclear leak in Japan never gets fixed. Whatever it is, this world is going to come to an end. The only thing that will have mattered when that happens is what we have done for the sake of God and what we have done for the sake of other people. That's all that's going to matter. Because those are the only things that are eternal in this world. Which is why God says the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Because those are the only things that are going to reverberate through eternity. Everything else you work on, even if it's a good thing, like building your house so that you can have a place for people to come and rest. Well, it's the fact that you are helping people to come and rest that's going to that's last. The house is not. Anything you build is not going to last except those relationships you build with other people and those things you do for the sake of God. And so now my life has meaning because I know this. And I know that no one can ever defeat me. You know what I mean by that? That means if someone walks into the room and says, "Nabil, you shut up or I'm going to kill you now. I'm going to say what? You think death scares me? God has redeemed death. God took death And made it into a tool for salvation. He took his own death and made it that tool which gives us all hope. God has defeated death. That's why there is no sting in death anymore. You're going to kill me? You're going to get me to go see my maker? I'm not worried about that. Oh, and and is it going to cost me everything to go and help other people? Is the Lord calling me to go to Siberia and give up all the possessions I have to go help them? Well, so what? I can actually do that because I don't need those possessions. I have God. If I have God, I have everything. So this message is so beautiful. This message is so simple. This message is that if you give God... His proper place in your life. This God who loves you, who created you even though He knew you were going to sin against Him. If you give Him that proper place in your life, your life will become invincible. You will have a joy that transcends all understanding, a peace that transcends all understanding. No one will be able to stop you and everything you do will be infused with meaning that will last for eternity. That is the good news of the gospel. That even though we have sinned, God loves us. But remember this, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will be saved, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. According to the verse, people are going to show up before Jesus and say, Jesus, why aren't you letting us in? And he says, yeah, you might have called me Lord, but you didn't live as if I was your Lord. Once we give him that proper place in our life, everything falls into place in the joy that we have will be contagious and unstoppable let's pray god i thank you i thank you lord that you've given us this hope you know there's there's no way that any of us would have been able to find our way to you we're all lost And it doesn't matter how much we try to buy. We can't buy our way there. It doesn't matter how good we are. We can't can't make our way to you, Lord. Only you can help us. But you didn't have to. You didn't have to do anything for us. You didn't have to come and take our sins upon you. So you could have left us to suffer. And we would have deserved it. Because we walk away from you and we steal and we cheat and we lie and we engage in sin. We did not deserve this, God. But because of who you are, you made a way. You are the way. And Lord, I don't know what people are wrestling with here. You do. Are there people here who might have to hurt their family in order to follow you with the truth? Are there people here whose concerns and worries are that they won't be able to provide financially if they truly follow you? There are people here who have to give up everything for your sake. Lord, I pray that you would encourage them right now. That you are a greater good than anything else. And that in fact you love us so much that when we give up these things for you, your word tells us that you will not fail to give us 10, 30 or a hundredfold as much in return. Your word tells us that the kingdom of heaven is like this pearl of great price. We might have to sell everything to buy this pearl, but it's worth it. God, you are worth it. And I pray that as we go forward and we have to make these sacrifices, that you would be with us. That you would give us peace and a calm in our soul. And that you would give us a good witness, Lord. That we would be able to show joy even in the face of suffering. God, we need you to this end. And we ask, Lord, that as we become more like you, as we put the proper place in our lives before you, God, that you would then use us to transform the world around us. There's so many people suffering out there, Lord. So many people who have no hope. So many people who have no joy. So many people who have no family. We can be their family. We can share joy and hope with them. We have it. We have the solution. It's you. Help us, Lord, share you with the world around us, God. We need your help to do that. We, We can't do it successfully on our own. So God, lead us as we do this. Take it over from us. Use us as your hands and your feet to accomplish your purposes in this world. And Lord, we can't wait to be with you for eternity. But in the meantime, use us towards your ends. Because there's no other place that's safe except in your arms, Lord Jesus. We pray this thing in your son Jesus' name. Amen.